Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Obamacare is illegal immigrants. Uh, African Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan. America great. Hello and thank you for joining us for another episode of 2020 Vision. It was round two this week for Democratic presidential hopefuls as they faced off over two nights in Detroit, Michigan for CNN's debate series. Let's have a listen to some of the highlights before we meet this week's guest. They're not going to go along. You, throw your hands up. But you, right. ha- you haven't... Imp- <laughs> We are the Democrats. We are not about trying to take away health care from anyone. That's what the Republicans are trying to do. We include dental care, hearing aids, and eyeglasses. But you don't know second that. of all, you don't know that, second Bernie. of all, we'll come to second I Congress do know when I wrote the damn bill. If, if it's true that if we embrace a far left agenda, they're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. If we embrace a conservative agenda, you know what we're, they're going to do? They're going to say we're a bunch of crazy socialists. You know, I don't understand why anybody goes to all the trouble of running for president of the United States just to talk about what we really can't do and shouldn't fight for. If you think any of this wonkiness is going to deal with this dark psychic force of the collectivized hatred that this president is bringing up in this country, then I'm afraid that the Democrats are going to see some very dark Did he use his power to stop those deportations? He went right around the question. Mr. Vice President, you want to be president of the United States. You need to be able to answer the tough questions. The fact is that the bills that the president, that, excuse me, the future president here, that, that, that the senator is talking about, are bills that were passed years ago and they're passed overwhelmingly. And if you want to compare records, and frankly, I'm shocked that you do, uh, I am happy to do that. Because there was nothing done for the entire eight years he was mayor. Um, Mr. Vice President, there's a saying in my community, you're dipping into the Kool-Aid and you don't even know the flavor. Uh, you, need to, you need to come to the city of North. Senator Harris, when you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not, and worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse we for that. We have a predator living in the White House. The president is a racist. The president's racist rhetoric should be enough grounds for everybody in this country to vote him out of office. We can no longer allow a white nationalist to be in the so, White House. The first thing that I'm going to do when I'm president is I'm going to Clorox the Oval Office. Elliot Brennan is a research associate at the United States Studies Centre and the Publications Director for Young Australians in International Affairs. He's also a former producer with Sky News Australia and he's been the producer of this podcast since its inception. He's responsible for that brilliant jingle you're used to hearing before every episode. Elliot, thanks for joining us for this week's episode. Thanks so much for having me on this side of the mic. Uh, You've probably followed these democratic debates and the emergence of this field of candidates closer than anybody I know, so let's break down this latest showdown. Um, Debate one was sort of framed as a real contest 
contest between progressives and more moderates in the Democratic Party on issues such as healthcare. It's quite interesting that this one policy area or debate has become sort of a proxy for where you stand in in the Democratic Party. You know, if you're a socialist or you're a centrist, etc. Uh, which wing came off better in these debates? Do you think? Well, it's interesting, right? I made the point of um, watching a bit of Fox News analysis afterwards, and uh, Rudy Giuliani was on, and he said the clear winner of debate one was John Delaney. Which right, is a unique a, take. <laughs> a, a unique take, certainly not one that I subscribe to. Yeah, <laughs> um, but for me, it spoke to the dynamics at play, right? For these moderates on stage, the stakes are so much higher. A lot of them haven't qualified for yeah. the third debates. Bernie and Elizabeth Warren. They're safe. They they don't have to make the case for themselves. They don't have to get the name recognition and yeah, all much higher of that. profile. Exactly. So the moderates really came out a lot harder. For example, John Delaney used his opening remarks to attack Bernie and Elizabeth. I really just think that we didn't, as an audience, gain much out of that. Right. Elizabeth and Bernie were just sort of treading water, waiting until these third debates when they really might have to go after each other or they really will have more of a competitive field to deal with. Just on um, Elizabeth and Bernie, I mean, Elizabeth Warren had some cracker lines, including that one at uh, John Delaney. You could almost feel the burn through the, the TV at <laughs> that one. Uh, but we didn't see her face off uh, against Bernie Sanders, as you said, really, which many had expected. Uh, it was almost as if they were kind of debating together at times, sort of working in, in tandem. Do you think that was a, a concerted effort to fend off the centrist wing of, of, of the party in these debates or just a kind of byproduct of the fact that they're so similar in terms of policy? Yeah, they're certainly similar in terms terms of policy, a bit a bit different in terms of their style, the way they debate. Bernie was much more aggressive than he was in the first debate. So that was something that surprised a lot of people. He was quite reserved. Um, Elizabeth Warren, as always, was super strong on policy, was able to really uh, elucidate her policy differences more with the moderates than with Bernie. And you saw from the first seconds of the debate where they walked out on stage, it was incredibly warm and convivial. They seem like friends. They've got a long history together. And there's this understanding between them that they have a non-aggression pact. It's unclear when that starts to break down, but I think what is clear is that it's not even close to breaking down at the moment. They're thinking about September, November, February. They're looking into the future, whereas, like I said, for these moderates like Tim Ryan and like John Delaney, it's really make or break. Uh, Pete Buttigieg had some solid lines about the way Republicans will be remembered as enablers following the Trump presidency. And um, there's also one about not allowing policy to be manipulated by uh, a fear that Republicans will call Democrats socialists, uh, presumably because, you know, they will no matter what the platform is. Um, I've heard him use that latter line before, but do you think he had better cut through this debate than the last one? Pete was an interesting one for me on this stage because we had this huge battle between the moderates and progressives, it left people like Pete Buttigieg and Beto O'Rourke stuck in this crack where they're not really with either side wholeheartedly and it didn't make total sense for them to get too involved. And I think that's why you saw Mayor Pete turn the attack to Republicans, even though there weren't any Republicans on stage. Again, Pete and Beto, they're looking pretty good for the third debate. Um, you really think Beto is going to make it? I, was, I just didn't think he had that kind of cut through in that first debate. I mean, similar to the first round, I just sort of wondered, because he is so similar to, to, to Pete Buttigieg as well, I, I really wondered whether he was going to make that third round. Well, yeah, he's got the polling numbers right because early in the race when he had his sort of his breakthrough, he was polling quite well. Right. And so that, that will do enough to get him on the stage for this third debate. But you're right, I really do think he's hamstrung. I... <laughs> What spoke volumes for me in this debate was that no one saw Beto as worth attacking. Right. We really had in that first debate, he was a punching bag. 
just taking hits from left, right and centre. He was really not that visible on the stage on night one. I thought he did well. I thought he did much better than he did in the first debate. He was more prepared. He had a few moments that sort of brought back that energy somewhat from his his Senate race against Ted Cruz. But overall, things aren't looking good for Beto. And, you know, that pressure is building on him to drop out and run for the Senate. Let's talk about my favourite candidate, uh, Marianne Williamson. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, she's back talking about uh, dark psychic forces and the uh, futility of, of wonkishness. Um, but she had some interesting things to say on reparations, didn't she? There was sort of this sense that as much as the commentariat may, may laugh at her and call her this mad crystal lady, she's actually been able to communicate issues of race and racial disparity. This, In this case, um, uh, it was environmental issues and the colonists of water um, to a general audience. So do, do you do you agree with that assessment that, that maybe she is having sort of a cut through as, you know, sort of Trump was kind of a joke in the Republican debates. He was still talking to a big part of the American heartland. Do you think she maybe is channeling a bit of that in this, in this election? She certainly has cut through. I don't know whether it would be through to the heartland. It's to a much smaller segment. And she comes off well on on race. She talks about history eloquently and brings up points that other candidates aren't talking about, but she's not yet been able to really grab any significant share of the black vote. I, I really think she's one that stands out on a debate stage. Because she's so different. She's so different. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, she's got a funny way of speaking. Her accent sort of moves like a hand moving across a Ouija board yeah. of the United States. She's really hard to pin down. And I think that's why she does so well in metrics like the Google searches, which only really measure curiosity. They don't tell you much about people agreeing with her. She has these huge, bold statements like, I don't believe in plans. We need to meet Donald Trump on the battlefield of love. I will meet you there, <laughs> sir, and I will defeat you. Yep. That makes no sense. No. Um, Weird obsessions with New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah. Yep. I was glad that Pete brought Jacinda Ardern back into, yes. us, back into the debates. That was good. But, yeah, with Marianne Williamson, if she qualified for the third debate, things may start to come unstuck when candidates see her as worth attacking because she and also Tulsi Gabbard are operating in this space at the moment where they don't have the name recognition, which also means that people watching don't know their baggage. So Marianne Williamson has in the past described illnesses like cancer as a psychic scream. Mm, She's right. had weird equivocations over compulsory vaccinations, calling them draconian. And uh, She's walked that back a bit recently, I saw. Yeah, she's walked it back and he had said in the past that she thought vaccinations were the right thing to do, but that's sort of the point, right? She's all over the place. I think when people start to try to pin her down, it starts to come unstuck. And Tulsi, obviously, we've spoken on the podcast of before about her interactions with Bashar al-Assad. At the moment, candidates don't really see them as worthy of attack. Now, onto debate two, you pointed out to me the other week when candidate selection was announced for each debate that former Vice President Joe Biden ended up uh, in the night with every racially diverse candidate, uh, which must have given him nightmares given his poor performance in the uh, first round of debates. How did he go on race issues and his record this time, do you think? Yeah, I, I think probably more to the point, it would have given his campaign nightmares because there's no way they wouldn't have prepared him for the race issues in the first debate and he just missed it. So he certainly came out from the get-go um, in this second round of debates much more aggressively. He was totally prepped for Cory Booker. The effectiveness of that attack, I'm not so sure. He was still using that same sort of argument against Kamala Harris where he was saying 
essentially, I like public defenders, you are a public prosecutor. I think that's a weird rhetorical line to take, but it's certainly one that he sees as viable. He's certainly more prepped on his record on race. He's in, in between these two debates had a mere culpa of sorts. But I think this debate overall just showed how vulnerable he is to, to these attacks. Cory Booker seemed to have a good night this time, as did Tulsi Gabbard, who you just mentioned. I saw Russia Today particularly seemed to be a big fan of her, so we might leave those conspiracy theories uh, for another podcast. Do, yep. you, do you think those two have a, a chance of making it into the, the top tier of candidates now, not just in a sense of qualifying for the next debate, but just in sort of people's minds of them being in this sort of top tier? Yeah, Cory Booker needed the performance he gave. He's really been struggling at the middle to back of the field, struggling to cut through and particularly struggling to win that large share of the black vote that Joe Biden holds. I thought his strategy for this debate was really quite a good one. He flagged his attack weeks ago. He said, I'm going to give Biden his judiciary hearing, which typical strategy, you don't reveal your cards. But what it meant was that, you know, the way these debates work, the moderators saw that there was an area of conflict there and they brought the debate to Booker. Right. And by making that debate about the judiciary, criminal prosecution, that kept Kamala Harris out of the picture. Right, um, not wanting to speak on her record. Exactly. And that, it was left to Tulsi Gabbard to attack her on, on her record. And so what you had was Cory Booker just winning this large share of the debate, putting him up there in the same way that we had in the first debate, where it looked like a two-person debate. It looked like these were the two final candidates going against each other. It was Biden versus Booker. And Kamala Harris was just off to the side, biding her time a little bit. A lot of candidates seem to uh, quite eager to distance themselves from President Obama's legacy, uh, which I thought was quite unexpected. Um, was, was this an attempt to rob Joe Biden of a potential win on his record, do you think? Yes, I do. And I, I, it also brings up similar questions for Julian Castro, yes. which uh, Joe Biden was wont to, to point out. I think Cory Booker hit the nail on the head where... You know, watching these debates and watching Biden, I'm starting to wonder what Obama did as president. Yeah, it seems like it was the Biden presidency. And then all of a sudden he was pressed on issues of immigration and deportations. And he's saying, you know, I was only the vice president. So it really does beg the question, which is it, Joe? Were you responsible for all of it? And again, on, a, on the surge, Joe was saying, no, I'm on the record. And then in other instances, he's saying, I had private conversations with, with Barack I'm not going to disclose my disagreements with him, but he was hinting that he did disagree. So I think it was good that candidates have sort of started to say, which is it, Joe? Come on, you have to tell us, were you responsible for everything or were you the vice president being a vice president? Yeah, it's a really interesting point because, um, as you say, I mean, he seems quite keen to take um, the recognition and, and the, the the poll numbers among black voters that comes with that. But of course, when all these uh, debates of a policy come up, uh, certainly the more negative ones during the Obama era, uh, yeah, he doesn't seem to want to take ownership on that. So obviously that's something that's not going to be able to continue. No, not at all. And it's been his sort of foil to those arguments about his record. He's gotten up there multiple times and said, Obama looked at my record and he said it was fine. For Joe, that's the end of the debate. But uh, for a lot of the candidates up there, it's not. Uh, thinking about the debates and in this format in general, how successful do you think they've been in giving audiences an idea of what the candidates stand for and the big policy arguments, for example? Is there anything you'd like to see in future debates that's sort of not being sort of covered here, either in terms of process or, or policy? There's been a lot of discussion about having independent debates on independent topics, so a climate change debate, and I've actually started to see a bit of a push for a healthcare debate. I think that healthcare debate would be particularly useful because it is such a dense policy issue that is inherently complex. 
the last two have kind of felt like healthcare debates, to be completely honest. They've sort of been dominated by that subject, do you think? Exactly. In the second night, we went 45 minutes on healthcare. The first night, more or less the same. And it's it's difficult when you've got arguments in the second night that need to be posed to the candidates, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who are in the first night, and you can't really bring those together. At this point, it looks more than likely that the third debates will just be one stage, one night, and I think the field will be much better for it. Right, I think about 10 candidates, I think, is the... Yeah, eight, eight to 10. Um, look, I'd even like to see if it was 11 to 12, just do it in one night. Get the people up there. We still haven't seen, you and I were talking about this earlier, we haven't seen Elizabeth Warren, for example, on stage with Cory Booker. Yeah. Cory Booker has this record of taking incredible amounts of donations from Wall Street, from Pharma... From that's something Elizabeth Warren is staunchly against. Yep. That's something we haven't seen in these two debates yet. So Yeah, she'll be chomping at the bit to discuss that, I'm sure. Well, yeah. I mean, we saw the glee on her face when the moderators brought up uh, John Delaney's <laughs> personal value of over $65 million and the fact that he would be affected by, by her, uh, yeah. her tax policy. So there are all these matchups of key candidates um, and there's a lot of noise coming from the candidates who realistically don't have a shot. They're just having their last grasp, moonshot, a lot of yelling, a lot of distraction, and I think one stage would fix a lot of that. Elliot, thanks so much for popping by out of the control room and uh, behind the mic today. Really appreciate your thoughts. No worries. Thanks so much for having me, Drew. I would like to just say a quick thanks to all of the interns across the centre. We've got five who have come with me on this journey of following the 2020 election. So that's Paige Remington, Mercedes Chavez, Isaac Reese, Jack Brown, and Caroline Gibbon. Excellent. Thanks again, Elliot. No worries. Thanks so much. We'll be taking a break for the month of August, but 2020 Vision will be back in September in time for the third round of Democratic primary debates, this time hosted by ABC and Univision in Houston, Texas on the 12th and 13th of September. Thanks this week to the Bubba Mara Brass Band, Ketza and the United States Army Old Guard Fife and Drum Corps and to the University of Sydney's Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance.